scripture this morning comes from Acts, the 8th chapter, verses 26 through 40. It's the story of Philip, or one of the stories about Philip, one of the apostles, a man who was pushed, prodded by the Spirit. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shearer, He does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture... He proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, here's water. What's to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. That's God's word for us this morning. The Holy Spirit pushes us outside our comfort zone and sends us to places we would not go without the Spirit's prodding conference I attended a couple of weeks ago, one of the sessions they showed a a number of churches that were not churches anymore. Some of them were restaurants, some of them were condominiums, some of them had been turned into retail space. All the buildings that were shown looked like churches. In fact, it was one of the the little games, I guess, that you could say uh, that we played. They'd show a picture of a church, and then they'd ask us a question. Is is this a church? And they they all looked like churches, so you basically had a a 50-50 chance of getting the answer right. So we would guess. And uh, more often than not, 
churches were no longer churches. Well, the presentation ended, or rather was uh, transitioned to another phase with this question. Do we know how to be Christians without a building? Is it possible for us to be Christians without a building? What happened to the church, not the building that became a restaurant, but what happened to the church that was in that building? Did they stretch, did they move beyond the physical surroundings after they obviously sold the building? Did they still know that they were a church? Or were they so tied to the building that they couldn't imagine how to be church without it. Well, that betrays a a, a heresy in the early church that's still very much uh, part of who we are culturally today. Heresy is, is a corruption of the gospel. So we believe we're people... Grace-filled people were people that by the grace of God are able to gather together. By the grace of God, we're able to reflect God's love in this world. By the grace of God, we know that nothing can separate us from God's love through Christ Jesus. By God's grace. But hundreds of years ago, back around 500 A.D., there was a man named Pelagius. And Pelagius said this, and this sounds awfully like, uh, a lot like what you could hear today. Pelagius could have written a bestseller book today with this simple idea. Because what Pelagius said was, God, you know, God's okay, God's fine, we need God, that's good. But really, if anything's going to happen, everything is up to us including our own salvation. We've got to earn it. But if anything's going to happen, we've got to build it. If anything's going to happen, we have to plan for it. We have to make sure the plan's accomplished. And if it isn't isn't accomplished, it's all on us. And if it is accomplished, then we get all the credit. It all depends on us. If it is to be, Pelagius could have written these words, he didn't. If it is to be, it's up to me. That was the idea. Well, the early church didn't recognize anything of grace in what Pelagius was saying, or very little of of God's grace. And they rejected that kind of teaching. And part of the reason that they rejected it is because they remembered stories from Acts like this strange story about Philip. Because see, Philip, one of the disciples who's already witnessed the ascension of Jesus, already seen the resurrected Christ, has already received the instruction, you're to go to you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, everywhere. But here's what happened to Philip. After he got that word, after Jesus ascended, here's what happened to Philip. 
he got as far as Samaria. And he thought, you know, occupational hazard to be a disciple at that point was, uh, you know, the risk of death or arrest or, or, or some, something uh, unpleasant. And, and Philip got to Samaria and said, you know, this isn't bad. This is not a bad gig. I can fly under the radar. Nobody's really noticing me. I can, I can do some good things. And I can, you know, talk to people a little bit. This isn't a bad deal. I'll just stay here. Well, the Holy Spirit had something else in mind for Philip. Philip is, is uh, convicted by the Holy Spirit to basically get up. You need to get up and go. And... He's not sent to a a big city like Paul is later in the book of Acts. Here's the instruction he gets. You take the wilderness road, go out to the middle of nowhere. And uh, I'll give you the rest of the directions once you get there. If there are any directions. So, Philip gets up, lo and behold, as he's traveling along this road... There's an Ethiopian on the road, a member of the queen's court, traveling not in a subcompact chariot, but a luxury chariot, big enough for Philip to get up in the chariot with him, plenty of room, a guy who's prominent, and a guy that we can safely assume already knew something about the faith. He's reading the Bible. He's gone to Jerusalem for pilgrimage, most likely Pentecost pilgrimage. He's reading Isaiah. Philip approaches. The guy asks a question that all of us have asked from time to time, and most of us probably still ask. He's got his Bible open, he's reading something. This happens to me all the time. I know the parts of the Bible I don't understand, so I just don't read those parts. You know, that way, if I did, then I have to get some, you know, I'd have to get commentaries out. I have to get all this stuff out so I could learn what, you know, about what I'm reading. So he's got the Bible and he's reading it and he's wondering, what does this mean? What is this saying? And Philip hears it and he says. Uh, Or in response to the question, the Ethiopian says to Philip, can you explain this to me? Can you tell me what this means? And Philip knows what the scripture is, knows it's Isaiah. And so up there in the chariot with him, they have a conversation. And Philip tells him about Jesus. Isaiah, the church had become to understand, Isaiah is really talking about Jesus. The one who's come. The one who suffered and died. The one who was uh, uh, not given justice, but yet has come for us. So he explains uh, all this to the Ethiopian. Oh, they're traveling down the road a little further. And out in the arid climate, lo and behold, water. Enough water apparently to be baptized in. 
So the Ethiopian guy looks at Philip and says, why can't I be baptized? Philip, I'm sure, is scratching his head at this point. He never expected this to happen. A guy with a luxury chariot, who's a part of a queen's court, who's Ethiopian, who's on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, comes out, you know, I come out here, I meet this guy, and now there's water, and now he wants to be baptized. Why can't I be baptized? Philip says, I can't think of any reason why I can't be. So, the Ethiopian is baptized, and it says he goes away rejoicing. Question, as it relates to us, to you, as it related to Philip, hanging out in Samaria with no problems or not as many problems as he would have. Do we do what is easy and call it faithful? Or do we stretch out? Do we let the Spirit move us? Uh, Many years ago, there was a hospital built in Atlanta, Grady Hospital. And that hospital was built during a time of segregation. And in that hospital, there is, uh, this was the original part of the hospital. And then this was built on. In between, and you can't see it in this picture, there's a, there's, a, there's a corridor, a bridge. This part of the hospital was built for African Americans. So they'd stay separate from the main part of the hospital. But somebody, architect... Uh, inspired, I believe, by the Holy Spirit and others have, who have talked about this story uh, convey it the same way. He built a little corridor in between, connected the two hospitals that were supposed to stay separate because he saw the day or envisioned the day when those hospitals wouldn't be separate. There wouldn't be a black hospital and a white hospital. There'd be a hospital. In anticipating that day, he went ahead and connected them. And Grady is uh, probably, I don't know, 15, 20 times larger than it was when it was first conceived and built in the 1900s, early 1900s. Stretched out a little bit. Envisioned some things a little bit. Trusted the Spirit. Saw a more hopeful and, and better day. And that day came. See, sometimes challenges can be opportunities in disguise. In the 1960s, there was a crime committed in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Sam Bowers, Imperial Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, burned to the ground the home of a man named Vernon Dahmer. Dahmer died in that fire. One of his children was significantly injured. His wife and other two children were safe. Sam Bowers uh, determined that this man's home, Vernon's house, needed to be burned to the ground because Vernon allowed black people to come into his grocery store, pay their poll taxes, 
so that they could vote. And for that crime, Vernon's house was burned to the ground and he lost his life in the fire. Bowers was tried four different times for that crime. And each time, a mistrial was declared. No verdict handed down. Mistrial. Four times. A little over 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 1998, in a courthouse in Mississippi, Bowers was tried again. At that trial, there was a man named Will Campbell, Reverend Will Campbell. Reverend Will Campbell had been active in the civil rights movement all through the 60s. He was chaplain at the University of Mississippi. He had gotten to know Sam Bauer. Here's how Will Campbell described himself. He said, I'm the pastor to rednecks. And it couldn't have been any, uh, any brighter neck, redneck, than Sam Bowers. But Will Campbell got to know him through his work uh, and really through confrontations. Because Will Campbell was, was a, uh, a mighty activist on behalf of civil rights. Will Campbell was the only white minister to go to the first organizing meeting of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. There were other ministers there, many other ministers there. They're all African American. Martin Luther King Jr. was there. Andrew Young. Will Campbell went to that trial. And what Will Campbell did surprised a journalist who was there to cover the trial. Because what he did is he went up and he spoke just as cordially to Sam Bowers, the imperial wizard of the Klan, that he had come to know, that had been his rival, his adversary, spoke just as cordially to him as he did to Vernon Dahmer's widow, Ellie. The journalist asked Will Campbell, why would you do that? Why would you treat both of them as friends? Why in the world would you possibly do that? How could you do that? And Will Campbell, who was uh, not adverse to using all kinds of colorful language, simply looked at the journalist and said, because I'm a Christian, damn it. That's what we do. Jesus said something in there. I don't know where it was, Campbell said. Somewhere in the Bible it's there. You're supposed to love your enemies. I know the man. I've talked to this man before. I know what he did, but I know what I'm supposed to do. Stretch a little bit. Stretch a lot. Talk to people who are different. In fact, sometimes even intend to do us harm. Stretch out. So, in this story of Philip... There's a story that we heard about uh, Will Campbell. See, sometime today, certainly by tomorrow, you may be out eating somewhere. You may be going to work. You may be going to some activity that you have planned. Somebody will say, particularly if you go into a restaurant, 
Somebody will say, uh, after uh, you get your food, you know, a minute later before you've had, almost had time to pick up the fork, they'll come back by and, and say, how does everything taste to you? How is it? You know, how's your meal? And the question that you're going to have to ask yourself is, are you going to stare down in your soup or pick at your salad and just say, fine, and act like they don't exist? Or, even worse, act like they're annoying. In fact, not act like they're annoying. They are annoying you. And you want them to know they're annoying you. Or somebody that you tolerate working with. You don't particularly care to work with them, but you've got to go to work and you've got to make money, make a living, so you tolerate them. And the way you tolerate them is, is you avoid them uh, as best you can. And if they, were, if they bother to talk to you at all or you bother to talk to them at all, it's only because you have to. So, how are you going to stretch a little bit? Are you going to stretch? What are you going to do with the opportunity, the challenge? How are you going to treat the people? I mean, who's going to know about Christ. If the people who say they know don't tell anybody, who's going to know? That's what the church is. It's more than a building, it's you. And if the best you can muster is to be annoyed or to avoid, or to act like somebody doesn't exist, how are they going to know? What are they going to know? Another thing I heard at this, this conference, conferences are a dangerous thing for pastors to go to. Another thing I heard at this conference, this bishop from New Hampshire got up there, and he said, I'm tired of hearing about being a welcoming church. I don't want to hear any more about being a welcoming church. Don't anybody say we're a welcoming church. Don't, I don't want to hear that mentioned. We've got that down. Oh, we could get a little better at it, but what church isn't welcoming? What church isn't trying to be welcoming? What church isn't trying to be friendly? What church, when you walk in the door for the first time, doesn't try to shake your hand 15 or 20 times? We're pretty good at being welcoming. We're not bad at that. We're okay with that. I don't want to hear about that anymore, he said. We need to get off this idea of welcoming church. We pretty much know that, and we're getting that. We need to be an inviting church. And if we're annoyed by everybody or avoiding everybody or almost everybody. Or we prefer if some people didn't exist, how are they going to know? If we don't stretch, if we don't see a day 
where we're all connected, where we're together, where we're one in Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for uh, the challenges that you give us in Scripture. Lord, help us to look at them through the power of the Holy Spirit as opportunities. God, help us to, to find those opportunities, recognize those opportunities in our own life. Lord, we thank you for what we know and, and what we've experienced in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to reflect that, that light in, in the world that you've given us to live in. For it's in Christ's name, amen.